0: Welcome to The Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. I'm Brianna Boozman, and I'm excited to have you join me in The Meeting Room. In the past week, 2,487,000 hogs and 640,000 head of cattle were harvested, producing over 540 million pounds of pork and 530 million pounds of beef, Of the beef harvested, 12% graded select, 72% graded choice, and 12% graded prime. In meat industry news this week, Beyond Meat, a plant-based protein company, is expanding its European markets. Currently, Beyond Meat is sold at approximately 122,000 outlets in 80 countries worldwide. And I'll admit, Beyond Meat is not meat. The definition of meat is animal tissues specifically uh, muscle tissue that is suitable for the use of food. However, Beyond Meat is a big competitor of the meat industry and important to keep in the news. McDonald's is testing a new chicken breakfast sandwich in Ohio and Sacramento. The sandwich will feature fried chicken and bacon. Tyson Foods announced that it will be opening a $425 million poultry plant in Tennessee. This is the company's first new poultry plant in 25 years. The locations will include a processing plant, feed mill, and a hatchery. The plant is expected to open in 2023 and will employ more than 1,500 people and is expected to have an annual economic impact on the state of $150 million. Awesome to see that coming on the line um, and awesome to see another opportunity for people to be able to get involved and to get hired uh, within the meat industry. Being a meat scientist has opened me up to a lot of interesting conversations. Personally, I really enjoy traveling. And although that's been a little limited this past year, uh, prior to that, I was able to travel quite a bit uh, for school, for different conferences, um, and just different church trips and things like that. And I always really enjoy talking to people or interacting with people in airports, whether that just be people watching or actually having conversations with people on the plane. Uh, But today, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the conversations that I've had with people when it comes to talking about being a meat scientist. And so I'm going to go through just some of the questions that I've gotten a mixture of those that have come from airport conversations as well as just family and friends. And oftentimes some of these questions to me have gotten to the point where they just, they seem like common sense. And I feel like that happens a lot in the ag industry where we get questions from consumers or we get questions from people who aren't involved in our particular area of the ag industry. And we start thinking of, well, that's just common sense. Like, why wouldn't you know that? But I have to remind myself that if I were ever to go to a major city, say New York, and I was expected to try to get on a subway or to hail a taxi, I would have no idea what I was doing. And that's something that is seemingly common sense to millions of people, uh, but I have not experienced that and I haven't been exposed to it. And so to many, um, it wouldn't be common sense. And so... Uh, Some of these questions may be things that you have never thought of. Maybe they'll seem like common sense to you, or maybe they'll be totally new. So I'm excited to uh, visit with you today just about some of these conversations. So the first one we're going to start with, why are there different cooking recommendations and cooking temperatures for different cuts of meat? So in particular, when we talk about beef, steaks and roasts, you're told that you can cook it rare to 145 degrees and that's uh, really good. That's what a lot of people like and a lot of people order. But when it comes to our ground beef, we want that cooked to 160 degrees. And why would there be a difference between the two? The reason this is, is due to food safety. So steaks and roasts have not been fully exposed to oxygen technically the center of a steak or the center of a roast is seemingly sterile. Um, At that point, it has not been exposed to any outside bacteria, any outside pathogens, nor has it been exposed to oxygen in the environment to allow for those pathogens to grow. And so really the main reason we need to get that center temperature up is because it lets us get the outside of it cooked to a high enough temperature Uh, to mitigate any food safety risks. Ground beef, on the other hand, has now taken any of the potential contamination, and contamination really isn't the right word. The environment that these products are being processed in are clean, they're temperature controlled, they're inspected for safety. Um, So contamination probably isn't the best word, uh, but it makes the most sense at this point. So Basically, it takes anything that was on the outside of that product, and it mixes it all the way through. And in addition to that, it also allows all of that to be exposed to oxygen. So if there is any bacteria or any kind of contamination, it now has that potential to grow. And so we want to cook our ground beef to that 160 degrees just for food safety. And a lot of times people will cut into steaks or they'll cut in their hamburgers To see if they're done. You know, if it's pink on the inside of a hamburger, then it's not well done. And that's not always true. Uh, Color is not always an indicator of doneness. And so because of that, you really want to use a meat thermometer. Um, There's times that a hamburger could be over 160 degrees and still be pink. And there's times that it could be under that and all the way brown through. And so using a meat thermometer is a great way uh, to make sure that you're keeping food safety intact, but also maintaining quality. If you're somebody who prefers your steak to be more rare, um, keeping and using a meat thermometer lets you get to that point um, and not forget about it or not miss that perfect doneness. So I always always encourage meat thermometer. The next question Is why is meat from beef red and chicken white? And this is a great question. Uh, There's different muscle fiber types. Muscles are used for different purposes, and because of that, they have some different properties. And it's really a lot about the life cycle of that animal. So there's primarily two muscle fiber types. They can be broken down further, but we won't go into that today. Uh, But type one muscle fibers are called slow twitch muscles. And these types of muscles really use oxygen for fuel. They provide continuous energy. um, And these are used for extended muscle contraction. So thinking about cattle that have to cover a lot of ground, especially those that are maybe raised on pasture or on rangeland, they're needing to have extended amounts of energy, they need to be able uh, to continue to contract those muscles. If we think about in people, marathon runners have likely more of those slow or those type one muscle fibers, where they're covering a lot of ground, they need continuous energy supply to those muscles. Type two muscles are known as fast twitch muscles and they fire rapidly and this is muscle that is used for short bursts of speed. They need to be really quick, Uh, they fatigue or they tire really quickly Um, and those are going to be the type that you're going to see in your poultry products. So if you think about um, a chicken, they don't necessarily need to cover as much ground um, depending on the production system I should say Uh, But typically the energy that they're gonna need is quick burst to be able to roost or to get um, across a yard really quickly. But they don't necessarily need that sustained energy system. And those uh, type two muscles are going to be lighter in color. And the reason this is, is those slow twitch muscles, that type one that we see in beef, they need a lot of oxygen and myoglobin is a protein that is found in muscle that carries oxygen similar to the hemoglobin that's in your blood and gives blood the bright red color we have myoglobin in muscle that also gives meat that red color and so if we know that beef animals are going to be covering more ground they need more oxygen to their muscle they're going to have higher levels of myoglobin bringing that oxygen to the muscle and therefore a more bright red color. On the opposite side of that, poultry products um, or species that need just that quick sprint, that really quick burst of energy, don't have as high levels of myoglobin and likely have a lighter color. And it's because of this that we can see some differences in farm-raised versus uh, wildlife in different species, specifically when we think about turkey So farm-raised turkey is going to be a lot more of that uh, white meat that we call it, can have some dark meat in different parts of the product, but it's typically a lighter color. Those farm-raised birds are in a more confined area. They're not covering a lot of ground. They have the resources that they need provided for them. Wild turkeys, on the other hand, cover a lot more ground. Uh, They need to walk for food, walk for water, and because of that, Uh, Oftentimes you'll notice that meat from wild turkeys is a much darker color. And I should also mention that within species and within animal, we can see um, a combination of these muscle fiber types. Cattle don't only have slow twitch. They can have a mixture of those slow and fast twitch um, just in different parts of the body depending on what the muscle was used for. But that is the main reason that you're gonna see differences in color between different meat products. All right, the next question is: Does meat bleed when it is thawed, and why does it bleed? And uh, this is a question that I end up getting kind of fired up about, if I'm gonna be totally honest. Not when it's asked by you know a family member or a friend or a person on an airplane, but when I see it on cooking shows that have professional chefs that are involved in working with this product all the time and they call the juice from the meat blood. It really bothers me. And the fact is that when an animal is harvested, the blood is removed. There is not uh, blood within the meat and what you see in the package when you thaw out a steak or a roast is some of that myoglobin and water. So again, myoglobin is what gives meat that red color. And so when the water um, exudes some from that meat, think about it goes from a frozen state to a thawed state, um, opening up some of that muscle tissue, allowing some of that water uh, to be removed from that muscle. It's pulling out that myoglobin. That's a red color um, and it looks like blood, but it's not. It's called purge. And it's a just water and myoglobin substance. Um, If there's ever blood in the meat, you will know. um, And that's a major quality issue. If we see blood in the meat, um, that often is due to something that happened during harvest. If the animal wasn't exsanguinated or bled out correctly, it can cause um, a buildup of blood pressure that causes some of those capillaries to burst in the muscle. And you will see um, bright red or kind of purple color spots from the blood. And that's something that uh, you don't see too often. Once in a while can occur. uh, But if there is blood in the meat products that you're trying to consume, you will definitely know. The next question is, why do we feed plants to animals? Wouldn't a plant-based diet be more sustainable? This is based off of a conversation that I actually just recently had uh, with a friend of mine who had watched a documentary that was about food production um, and it talks some about the beef industry and the number of plants that animals eat each year that could be uh, fed to people and then uh, we would not have to harvest the animals. And to me, the best way um, to think about this is that beef and other livestock can convert low quality forages into a high quality nutrient dense protein source. So a lot of uh, the forages or the plants that are being fed to livestock can't be digested by people. Um, A lot of people who are involved in the ag industry have experience understanding the digestive system of beef cattle and sheep and specifically ruminants that have a four-chambered stomach that allows them to um, digest these forages differently than what us people, us monogastrics, um, are able to do. We're not able to get all of those nutrients from those products like some of these livestock species are. Additionally, a lot of the ground that cattle graze on um, is some rangeland or it's different pasture ground or things that would not make good farm and crop ground. Um, And so because of that, they're able, like I said, to convert that low quality forage into an incredible, incredible uh, source of protein. In one serving of beef, you can get iron, choline, protein, vitamins B6 and B12, phosphorus, zinc, niacin, riboflavin, and selenium. And um, although there's a lot of nutritional value in different plants as well or in vegetables and fruits, I understand that, but a lot of it is not going to combine all of those things with that high quality protein um, that you really need to be able to fuel your body. Specifically when we talk about beef compared to some other protein sources, beef is a relatively low calorie option. And obviously that's going to depend on what source of beef you're eating. If you're eating a prime ribeye that is full of marbling, um, it's going to taste really great. It's going to be higher calorie because it has a higher fat content than something like some of your lean ground products or your um, even a choice ribeye or a choice strip. And that isn't me discouraging you from eating the prime rib I definitely do it. But if we're talking calories, there's still some lean, low calorie options that can still offer you incredible amounts of protein. In order to get 25 grams of protein, you just need one three ounce serving of beef. And that can run you about 175 calories, Uh, will vary some depending on what cut you choose. Uh, But if we compare that to plant-based products, if we look at something like quinoa, which it would take you three cups of quinoa, and it would be over 660 calories in order to get 25 grams of protein. Peanut butter, you need over six and a half tablespoons and over 613 calories in order to get the 25 grams of protein. Black beans, you need over uh, one and two thirds cups and 380 calories to get those 25 grams of protein. So just in terms of feasibility, calories, beef and meat ends up being a really good option. All right. And the last question for today, and you know, this is a pretty heavy hitter. Um, It's one I've gotten asked quite frequently, but the final question is, what is actually in a hot dog? And this is a great question. And if you grew up watching the great outdoors like I did, uh, when somebody asked that, you probably have an answer that comes to your mind pretty quick. But the fact is that um, hot dogs can actually contain some fairly decent quality protein. And you're going to know that based on the price. So if you're looking at a higher quality Um, hot dog, one that's um, in all beef frank, that has its main ingredient on there as beef, it's going to be made with beef trimmings. And so it'll be some of that lean tissue, um, as well as fat that goes into that product. But it isn't just random products that are getting thrown into the hot dogs. Um, It still can be a pretty decent quality protein. And some of the cheaper options that you'll see, um, they'll contain a lower quality protein. So it may be something uh, like a poultry product that is not a bad thing, but it's just going to be a lower quality product and you're paying a lower price for that. So in addition to the uh, base protein source, there's oftentimes some kind of scary words on the ingredient label for a hot dog, uh, but we'll go through what some of those are. So we have your protein source, you have water, Uh, dextrose is a sugar that is used for browning, there's salt, and oftentimes it'll be uh, a pretty high salt content that is used for flavor, it's used for binding, and it's used for shelf life. Additionally you may see either celery juice or sodium nitrite, and Uh, That's what gives it kind of that pink color, uh, cured taste, and it helps with shelf life. So sodium nitrite is specifically for curing, and celery juice can be used in replacement of that. Again, typically it'll be your higher priced, higher uh, quality products that will have the celery juice versus sodium nitrite. You may see uh, vinegar or a um, sodium diacetate, something along those lines, And that's something that's used for preservation and, again, to help with some of that shelf life. You'll maybe see sodium phosphate, which helps retain moisture uh, to help it from getting dried out when you cook it. And it also helps prevent off flavor in some of the fat. So hot dogs are going to have a high fat content. Um, Fat is known to oxidize or develop some off flavors. And sodium phosphate can help prevent um, some of those off flavors from developing. Uh, You may see cherry powder um, or something that would be helping with color, again giving some more of that pink color, um, as well as changing the rate of curing. So um, these natural, quotation marks, natural products like cherry powder, celery juice, uh, they're things that can be used to help preserve these products further. You may see some different flavorings, Uh, that could be a variation of different herbs and spices, Um, a mix that is going to be used to help improve the flavor. And a lot of times um, that will be listed specifically as flavorings. And there's a whole um, number of different herbs and spices that have been approved to go under just that flavoring label. So the main thing to keep in mind when it comes to hot dogs is that typically the price point is going to reflect the quality of the protein source. And when you start to break that label down, it's not quite so scary. Uh, So if any of these are questions that you have had, I hope that uh, this answered some of those things for you. And I'll do some more episodes like these in the future, uh, just going through some of the questions that I commonly get when people find out that I am a meat scientist. So thank you for joining me today in the meeting room, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon.